I'll invite you to turn to a couple of openings of Scripture, uh, Hebrews chapter 11 and then uh, Romans chapter 10. We're teaching a series on, that we've uh, entitled The ABCs of Faith, and uh, the, our intent is to go back to some of the foundational truths and the, the basics of the subject of faith. And, uh, and, and in that spirit, in that, uh, um, uh, from that perspective, I want to, uh, to share with you some things that, um, uh, that were the beginnings for me. Uh, Hebrews 11, verse 1 says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. First time I ever heard faith uh, preached, any, any teaching on the subject of faith, I was 22 years old. It was 1978. And, uh, uh, and, and to be real honest with you, the, uh, the minister that was teaching faith lost me. He was talking about believing God for airplanes and houses, new houses, and new cars and different things like that. And, uh, and when, I did, when you don't have gas money, that's a little bit out of reach. And, uh, and so I, I listened, uh, to the, to the message. It was on tape. It wasn't a live service I was in, but it was on tape. And, uh, somebody had given me the, uh, the, the message and said, listen, you need to hear this. They, it was, uh, changing their lives and they were really excited about it. And, uh, so they thought I would be too. And, and, um, so I, I heard it and, and, uh, and honestly, it just, it just went right over my head. I didn't understand what he was talking about. I got excited about the idea that you'd have airplanes and new houses and new cars. But um, but there there wasn't anything that I could really take hold of. But there was something on the inside. I didn't know anything about being led by the Holy Ghost. I didn't know anything about the Holy Ghost dwelling on the inside of you other than Jesus living in my heart type stuff. Uh, I did know I was at that time filled with the Holy Spirit, but nobody even told me what the real benefit of speaking with other tongues was or any of those types of things. And uh, so... Um, there was something, however, that on the inside of me. Now, looking back, I can see it was the inward witness, the witness of the Holy Spirit. There was something on the inside of me that said, even though you don't understand what's being said, this is true. And uh, um, during that um, uh, the message on tape, I heard the, the preacher say something about Brother Hagin. And he said that he learned faith from Brother Hagin. So I thought, uh, and, and forgive my attitude about this, I was young in the things of the Lord, but I thought, well... You're not making sense to me anyway, so why don't I go to the source? So I, um, uh, and, and it wasn't something that happened overnight, wasn't something that happened in the next couple of weeks or anything, but uh, through a series of events, somebody loaned me uh, a tape series, a cassette tape series that, from Brother Hagen, uh, his Mountain Moving Faith series. And boy, that changed me, because I could understand what he was talking about. He was talking about having to believe God for $150 a week when he was on the road in ministry. Uh, he was talking about believing God for, for healing from a, uh, an incurable blood disease and a deformed heart when he was on the, his, uh, the bed of sickness. And, uh, and I understood. I understood the principles. But the one thing that um, uh, I, I really spent some time this week trying to think back and say, okay, what made the difference? Because I realized that some of the things that I'm saying, talking about faith, I'm telling you and teaching you from the position of where I am now in faith. And that's not where I always was. That's not where anybody starts. And I remember Brother Hagin talking about back in the, uh, in the middle, middle 80s. He was talking about how most, most faith preachers are preaching faith from their level of faith and not where the people are. Well, that's exactly what happened to me in 1978. And so uh, every now and then, uh, the Lord really quickens that to me, and I try to go back down and break it down, and I'll ask my kids, and I'll ask some of the young people, did you get anything out of the service today? And, of course, anything that they ever get, they always said, yeah, I liked your story about this. 
So I realized I needed to tell more stories to get the young people. But, um, uh, but one of the things that I remember, one of the first things that I remember that really made sense to me, that helped things click and, and, and fit together, was Brother Hagin made this statement. He said, and this was on a tape series, he said, faith is acting like the word of God is true. Well, that statement in and of itself didn't do anything for me, but then he explained. He said, it's acting like and believing that the word of God is more real than the circumstances that surround you. Well, now, I grew up in a Baptist church. I grew up Southern Baptist. And as a result, they taught me that the word of God was true. Now, there's a lot of it they said wasn't for us today. But they taught me that the word of God was true. And the reason that they did, the primary reason, is, at least to my understanding at that time, still seems to make sense to me now, is that they were teaching us in Sunday school the Genesis account of creation. Well, evolution was promoted back then. Not uh, It wasn't so prevalent then as it is now. It certainly wasn't as accepted then as it seems to be now by um, uneducated people or unlearned people. They may have education, but they're not learned. But anyway... If you're going to believe the Genesis account of creation, you've got to believe the word of God is true. And so that was the foundation for everything. The word of God is true. They hammered that into us. The word of God is true. The word of God is true. The word of God is true. Now, again, there were, there were some holes in that because they said certain scriptures in the New Testament didn't belong to us. And there was a lot of the word of God that we just ignored and didn't read. But they hammered into us that the word of God was true. So when Brother Hagin made that statement... That's what helped it click for me, because what he said was, no matter what things look like around you, no matter how things feel to you, no matter what things appear to be, the word of God is more true, is more real than your circumstances. Well, somehow or another, that made it fit for me, because I understood then Hebrews 11.1, the evidence of things not seen. The things not seen is the truth of the word of God. And so it comes down to a simple choice. Is the word of God true or is my circumstance true? Is the word of God true or is my feeling true? Is the word of God true or is things the way things look to be at the present moment the way things really are? Well, that helped me. That made a lot of sense to me. Now, Romans chapter 10 was another piece because it talks about how faith comes. And again, it's all based on the word. We'll start in verse 8. It says, But what saith it? The word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth and in thy heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, or another translation says Jesus as your Lord, and shall believe in thine heart that God has raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Skip down to verse 17. So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Now you know as well as I do that the Bible teaches and these scriptures are teaching that faith has to be in two places. It has to be in your heart and in your mouth. Now it can't be just in your mouth and it doesn't do any good if it's just in your heart. You could teach a parrot to say Jesus is Lord and that wouldn't get him saved. That's true, isn't it? You could say anything you wanted to and not coming from your heart and it wouldn't work. Because faith has to be in both places. It's got to be in your heart and in your mouth. When I was working with Brother Hagin, we were on a crusade. And uh, uh, there was a fellow that had um, lived in another part of the country and had called into the offices in Tulsa. And he was just frantic. He had to get a hold of Brother Hagin. It was an emergency. It was an emergency, life and death. He had to get a hold of Brother Hagin. He, uh, he didn't tell the truth about what the, the cause of his uh, 
or the purpose of his phone call was. But anyway, we were on the road and, and they never give out Brother Hagen's location or, you know, hotel room number or anything like that. But, uh, but this guy pestered the, the, um, uh, the operator in Tulsa to such a degree that she gave him my hotel number. And, uh, thanks a lot. So she, she just kind of passed it off. She, and she told me ahead of time. She called me as soon as she did. And she said, Mike, here's this guy. Here's the situation. I told him what your hotel room number is. And so he's going to be calling you. So anyway, he did. He called. She said, you decide if it's anything that you want to pass on to Brother Hagen, then you're right there with him. You can do whatever you think is right about it. So anyway, she, um, uh, she told me the story. It wasn't 20 minutes later. This guy calls, phone rings. This guy calls. He says, I was given your number. I've got to talk to Brother Hagen. And I said, well, that's probably not going to happen. Just, you know, reality check right up front. Um, but tell me what the deal is. And if it's something that's important, then I'll, I'll pass along the information to him and we'll figure out what to do from there. He said, no, you don't understand. I don't know who you are. I don't know what you, whether or not you mean well, but I've got to talk to Brother Hagen. So we went round and round about this for a little bit. And I, just, I finally just laughed and I said, it's not going to happen. Tell me the story. And that's your best chance of getting any information to Brother Hagen. So finally, he said, you're really not going to let me talk to him. I said, no, I'm really not going to let you talk to him. If I did, it would cost me my job, and I'm not willing to give up my job for your problem. (laughs) So he told me what the problem is. He said, well, look, here's the deal. He said, I heard Brother Hagen teach and say you can have whatever you say. And so I ordered a new car. And now it's in. And I don't have the money, and I need to know from Brother Hagen, what do I do now? So I said, are you kidding me? That's what this is about? And he said, yeah, that's what this is about. I said, um, well, tell me about the car. So he told me he's fully loaded. This thing was really nice, cost a lot of money. I said, well, why did you get the most expensive car out there? He said, well, I figured if I was believing God, might as well go for the best. Well, I told Brother Hagen about it later on. And Brother Hagen got the biggest kick out of that. He laughed. He preached it that night. (laughs) Well, you could well understand that this wasn't in this guy's heart. This wasn't a matter of faith. This was something he got excited about and decided that he was just going to go and say whatever he thought he needed to say, and it was going to work like magic. Well, folks, that's not the way it works. Excitement's not faith. You can get excited, and I've seen a lot of people through the years get excited when people tell stories about what they believed God for or what they spoke and what came to pass and all the money that that God provided for them and so forth. People get excited and say, oh, man, this is my get-rich-quick scheme. Faith is not an excitement, and faith is not a get-rich-quick scheme. Faith's a lifestyle. So faith has to be in two places. It's got to be in the heart and in your mouth. It can't be just in your mouth. But right on the other hand, it can't just be in your heart either. Turn back with me to Mark chapter 5. Now, here's another thing that I heard from Brother Hagen that made a big difference to me. After being around him a little bit, went to school in 1980, wound up working for him in the summer of 1981, worked for him for the next several years after that. I had a chance to hear Brother Hagen not just on tape but hear his testimony and had a chance to ask him about some things that, that weren't clear to me at the time. One of the things that uh, that I heard Brother Hagen say was that, uh, and and I assume that you've heard me talk about him enough, or hopefully that you've heard, uh, or read his books, or heard uh, things that he said on on tape, to where you know the story. Uh, he was born with a deformed heart. He uh, had an incurable blood disease, and by the time he was 16 years old, he was bedfast. 
he was always limited and, and uh, as a child as far as running and, and playing and, and never did anything like that as a normal child. L- limited activity throughout all of his life. And finally, by the time he got to be 16 years old, he was, uh, he was bedfast, uh, wound up being almost completely paralyzed. He had a little bit of use for short periods of time during the day of his, uh, of his hands. And, um, and, and he was in a situation where he had never heard anybody preach healing. <clears throat> One of the things about Brother Hagin's story, and, and uh, some people say, well, why do you talk about Brother Hagin so much? Because I think everybody can relate to his story. I don't have a deathbed experience where God raised me off the bed of sickness. But he does. And you, I've never known of anybody that's in more of a helpless situation than he was. He never heard. He never had one person teach him on the subject of faith. Yet the Holy Ghost taught him and showed him how to receive his healing. That's pretty big to me. I mean, where would you and I be without preaching? How would we have found out? Well, anyway, Brother Hagin had limited use of his hands at this point in time. And uh, he had had family members tell him that healing had been done away with because that's what the preachers at the, uh, at the churches they attended went uh, said about it. He had had uh, one minister, three different pastors said they would come, but only one showed up. And instead of giving him any hope, he wanted to ask him, is healing right? I see it in the Bible. I've read some things in the in the Gospels about healing. Is healing right? But he wasn't able to communicate. And so this preacher just simply put on his professional voice, patted his hand, said, be patient, my boy. In a few more days, it'll all be over. Now, we laugh about that. Brother Hagin used to tell the story, and we'd laugh about it, but I've seen him cry over it. He said, he, he, said, he told me personally, he said, Mike, he put the light out. He said, I've never felt so lonely. I've never felt so alone. This guy put the light out. This preacher, with a professional voice, put the light out for me. Well, he spent several days after that in the, in the deepest and darkest of despair. But then finally, after he got over his little pity party, like we all have, he said, told his mother, bring me back the Bible. And he started looking at the scriptures and he started reading for the 15 to 20 minutes a day that he was able to do it before he had kind of go into a stupor, according to his testimony. But he came to Mark chapter 5. And he read about the woman with the issue of blood. Beginning in verse 25, it says, And a certain woman which had an issue of blood 12 years, and had suffered many things of many physicians, <coughs> and had spent all that she had, and was nothing better, but rather grew worse. When she had heard of Jesus, came in the press behind and touched his garment. For she said, If I may touch but his clothes, I shall be whole. And straightway the fountain of her blood was dried up, And she felt in her body that she was healed of that plague. And Jesus, immediately knowing in himself that virtue, King James says virtue is literally the word word power. It's the Greek word dynamon. It's translated power in most every other instance. Jesus, immediately knowing in himself that power had gone out of him, turned him about in the press and said, Who touched my clothes? And his disciples said unto him, Thou seest the multitude thronging thee, and sayest thou, Who touched me? And he looked round about to see her that had done this thing. But the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing what was done in her, came and fell down before him and told him all the truth. And he said unto her, Daughter, thy faith has made thee whole. Go in peace and be whole of thy plague. Well, Brother Hagin had just finished reading the whole of the fifth chapter. He didn't stop with the woman with the issue of blood. But he read the fifth chapter of, uh, of Mark. And, uh, and he was just laying there on the bed. He was, the, the, the Bible was still propped up in his, in his lap. And, um, uh, and he was pretty much done for the day. But he still had some, uh, some cognitive function. He still had his reasoning powers with him before his body took over and, and kind of put him into stupor. 
And, uh, and he said that he was laying there and he said one of the first things that the, that the Lord ever said, now he's struggling back and forth. This is just after the, the preacher has come and, and, uh, the denominational preacher has come and put the light out on healing. Cause he's been asking his family, he's been asking other people. His grandpa was the only one that gave him any kind of hope whatsoever. His grandfather said, you know, I know that, uh, that this is not what our church preaches, but I believe that if you've got enough faith, you can walk on water like Peter did. Well, that gave him a little bit of hope. But he said, do it, but he thought to himself, well, I don't want to walk on water. I don't need that. I want to be well. So anyway, this is just a short time after that. He's been struggling back and forth. And all of a sudden, he said, the first time he remembers hearing the Holy Ghost, the voice of the Holy Ghost, didn't know who it was at the time. He said there was a voice on the inside of him that said, did you notice that that woman was healed on her own face? He said he answered out loud. He's by himself in the room. He answered out loud. He said, no, no, I didn't see that. He had the Bible there in front of him. He was able to still turn to Mark chapter 5. So he just looked down. Verse 34, it said, daughter, thy faith has made thee whole. And then the voice said this. He said, yeah, yeah, I see that. That's in there. And then the voice said this. Again, he still didn't know it was Holy Ghost. The voice said this. He said, have you ever heard anybody say faith's been done away with? Now, he's struggling with his, his healing for us today. But the Holy Ghost asked him the question, have you ever heard anybody say that faith's been done away with? And he, he thought for a minute, and he thought he'd only heard, you know, three or four different preachers in his life. He thought to each one of the things that he had heard from them. He said, no, well, this preacher didn't say it. This preacher hadn't said it. No, this preacher hadn't said it. No, no, I've never heard anybody say that faith's been done away with. And this voice said, no, and you never will either. Because if faith's been done away with, there is no church. No one can be saved. And then he quoted Ephesians 2, 8. For by faith are you saved, for by grace are you saved through faith. And that not of yourselves is the gift of God. Brother Hagin said, if you had asked me if that verse of Scripture was in there, he said, I would have had no way to know it whatsoever. He said, but the Holy Ghost quoted the Scripture to me. Again, he didn't know that it was God. He didn't know who that voice was. He just knows that a voice is telling him that faith's not been done away with and faith is necessary to be saved. And then the voice said this, if her faith made her whole and faith's not been done away with, your faith can make you whole. I've always been fascinated by that. Here's God's argument to the question, is healing been done away with? Well, the real question is, has faith been done away with? Because if she got her healing on her own faith, and the Bible says very clearly in Mark chapter 5, verse 34, that she did. And faith's not been done away with, and your faith can make you whole, or your faith can receive from God whatever it is you need. But it's an amazing thing. In the modern day church, you'll have so many people say that faith's not for everybody. Or at least faith's not for everybody outside of asking Jesus to forgive your sins and be, be the Lord of your life. It's amazing to me how many people will add their own um, ideas to the word of God and claim that that's what the Bible says. Well, that began, that was the beginning point for him. That was the beginning point for him. That answered the question for him, is healing available for me? Because if her faith brought her healing and my faith can bring my healing since faith's not been done away with. So that answered the question for him. It had nothing to do with healing being in the atonement. It had nothing to do with the theological questions. Did Jesus pay the price for sin, sickness at the same time that he paid for sins? The Bible says that he did. But none of those were an issue. There was one issue that the Holy Ghost brought up to him, and that was if faith's not been done away with and her faith made her whole, then your faith can make you whole. 
Now, folks, that principle applies in every area of life. If you can find anybody in the Bible that through their faith received finances and faith's not been done away with, and your faith can bring finances to you. Abraham's the first example we have of that. Faith produces results. So Brother Hagin said, from that moment, from that moment, I knew that healing was available. I knew that faith would bring healing. I knew that it was possible for me to get off that bed. But he spent another 10 months in the bed. He said this. He said, if you had had, if somebody had come in that room with a baseball bat and said, I'm going to beat you to death unless you say that healing's been done away with and that faith doesn't produce healing. He said, I would have died being beaten to death, believing that faith would bring healing to me. He said, but I spent another 10 months in that bed for one reason and one reason alone, and that is I couldn't figure out how to turn my faith loose. He's got the believing in the heart part down, but he hasn't yet seen the saying with the mouth. It took him 10 more months before he came to realize that her faith was evidenced by the fact that she spoke. Let's back up to Mark chapter 5 again. Mark chapter 5, verse 25. And a certain woman which had an issue of blood 12 years and had suffered many things of many physicians and had spent all that she had and was nothing better but rather grew worse. When she had heard of Jesus, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. When she had heard of Jesus, came in the press behind and touched his garment. Why? For she said. Now I want you to notice, she turned her faith look loose in two ways. She both said and acted. Faith is always released by words and or actions. Sometimes the words themselves is the necessary action. Other times the words have to be accompanied with corresponding actions. And that's what James is talking about when he wrote to the church and he said faith without works is dead. That word works is translated in Moffat's translation corresponding actions. Faith without corresponding actions is dead. In other words, you can't just believe something in your heart. You've got to act it out in your life, whether through your words or through the physical activity of your body. That's what kept Brother Hagin in the, de- in the bed of sickness for another 10 months after he came to realize that faith would bring him his healing. Healing was available. Faith would bring the results. But he couldn't figure out How do I use my faith? How do I put this faith in action? How do I make this faith work for me to bring about the desired result? He couldn't figure it out. She came in the press behind and touched his garment, for she said. Another translation says, for she began to say. For she began to say. As soon as she heard about Jesus, well, what did she hear? She heard something, in my opinion, you judge it for yourself, but she must have heard something about people touching Jesus and getting well. Because that's what her faith was in. And if faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word, she wouldn't have had faith to touch his garment and be healed if she had heard that Jesus was baptizing in water, would she? She wouldn't have had faith to be healed by touching his garment if she heard that Jesus was healing people with the spoken word, would she? Why would she put her faith in touching? She must have heard about Jesus either touching people, laying hands on people, or other people touching him and receiving their healing. She must have heard something about power in Jesus, resident in Jesus, that's released by the physical touch because that's what she had faith to do. And faith comes by hearing. She can't have faith for that unless she's heard something about that. 
So that's what she heard. So immediately she began to say, she began to say, she began to say, if I can just touch his garment, I shall be whole. Well, now all she's got to do is get to where he is and touch him. And that's what she does. She fights through the crowd. She gets to him. Jesus recognizes somebody in this crowd touched me. The disciples are perplexed by that, by his question, who touched me? Because they're, they're uh, witnessing everybody touching him. Everybody's reaching out to touch him. This is another important part to me that shows how many people miss it. There's got to be other people in that crowd that were sick or that have heard the same things that this woman heard, and they're reaching out to take the physical action of, of touching him. They're doing the same physical activity of reaching out to touch him, but they don't have it. It's not accompanied. That, that activity is not accompanied by faith in the heart. That would be the same thing as the guy that was saying that he was going to have a new car, and then, but it wasn't in his heart to pay for it when it came for him. Folks, you can say anything in the world, but if it's not accompanied by a belief in your heart, it's not going to work. And if you don't have the word of God for it, how can you believe for it? Because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. Now, there are always going to be people that go to extremes. Always going to be people that go to extremes. There are going to be people that claim these outlandish things and say that you have what you say, and so here's how it's going to work. Well, if you don't have the word of God for it, you don't have a basis to believe it. And there are always going to be people that get out there in the extremes that are going to give the rest of us a bad name who are truly believing the word of God. And there are going to be those that hear these stories and say, well, see, it doesn't work for everybody. Well, as Brother Hagin used to say, I'm not saying this myself, but I'm just going to repeat him. No, it won't work for idiots. I don't know about you, but I'm not willing to let the people that go to extremes keep me out of what's real. I can show you a lot of people that are extreme on water baptism, but I'm not going to let that keep me out of what's real. I can show you people that are extremes on anything. Any Bible subject, you pick. You pick the subject, I'll show you people that have gone to extremes. That doesn't mean there's not truth in what the Word of God says. So it's got to be in two places. It's got to be in your heart and in your mouth. Now let me ask you a question. How tough was it for this woman who's in a hopeless condition herself, how tough was it for her to receive faith, the same faith that she acted on and and got the healing and got her healing? How hard was it for her to get faith? Folks, here's one of the great truths about faith. It takes absolutely no effort on the part of man. It takes no mental effort. It takes no physical effort. It takes no spiritual effort for you to receive faith because faith comes by hearing the word of God. You just have to put yourself in a position to hear it. Now, let me ask you another question. How many of you think that she understood all about how the power of God worked when she came and touched Jesus? How many of you think she understood how faith worked when she came and touched Jesus? She didn't hear a teaching on faith. She heard about Jesus. It was hearing about Jesus and the power that was resident in him that caused faith to rise in her heart. That's why the Bible tells us all about what Jesus accomplished for us on the cross. Because the purpose for the word of God, which Paul called Romans 10 and 8, Paul called it the word of faith, which we preach. Paul said by the Holy Ghost that the word of God is the word of faith. Why? Because faith is always produced where the word of God is preached. Always. Always produced where the word of God is preached. 
So what does this woman do? She begins to say, she releases her faith. She releases her faith. She doesn't just keep faith in her heart. She doesn't stay in the same position Brother Hagin stayed in for 10 months on the bed of sickness. She hears and acts. And this was one of the, the key scriptures, uh, key truths that, that helped Brother Hagin release his faith and put it to work. She began to say. She began to say. There's a, a, a verse of scripture over in, uh, let me see if I can find it. I think it's Luke 17. Luke's this way, not that way. Luke 17. Let me read this to you. Um, well, I'm going to have to put it in context. Beginning in verse 1, Jesus said, It is impossible that offenses will come, but woe unto him through whom they come. It were better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck and he cast into the sea than that he should offend one of these little ones. Take heed to yourselves. If thy brother trespass against thee, rebuke him, and if he repent, forgive him. And if he trespass against thee seven times in a day, and seven times in a day turn again to thee, saying, I repent, thou shalt forgive him. And the disciples said, Lord, increase our faith. Now, Jesus is talking about forgiveness, right? Notice that the disciples, calls them the apostles, notice the apostles recognize that, faith, that forgiveness works by faith, not by feelings. If Jesus said, if your brother offends you seven times in a day and repent seven times in a day, then, then forgive him if you feel like it, or forgive him because you're going to be really warm and fuzzy toward him, then the disciples would have no reason whatsoever to talk about faith, would they? But why do they talk about faith? Because they realize my feelings are not going to be too friendly towards somebody that offends me seven times in a day and turns around and says, oops, I'm sorry. After about the third time, you're going to think, look, talk's cheap. Quit doing this, right? And after that second or third time, if they continue to do it, pretty soon we're going to say, you know, I think you're doing this on purpose. Why should I forgive somebody that's trying to do me wrong on purpose? But the disciples understood what you and I should understand, and that is forgiveness is not a feeling. Forgiveness is an act of faith. And so that's what the disciples, the apostles said. They said unto the Lord, increase our faith. Oh, Lord, we're going to have to have more faith for that. If you said forgive somebody if they do you wrong one time a day, okay, we might be able to do that just because we're good people. But when you're talking about seven times in a day, and if you compare what uh, what, Mark, uh, what uh, Matthew said about it, it's seven times 70 in a day. That's 490 times a day somebody doing you wrong on purpose. Well, how are you going to do that? There's only one way you can, and that's by faith. So the apostle said unto the Lord, increase our faith. And notice what the Lord said. If you had faith as a grain of mustard seed, you might. You look up that word might, you'll find out it's the word would. Notice what Jesus is saying. If you have faith as a grain of mustard seed, you would or you will say. In other words, if you have faith, you will speak. If you have faith, you will speak. If you have faith as a grain of mustard seed, you will say unto this sycamine tree, Be thou plucked up by the root, and be thou planted into the sea, and it should obey you. Now, we talk about using our faith for circumstances. There are four times in the scripture where Jesus talks about moving either a tree or a mountain. 
with your faith. Three of those four times, he's talking about not changing circumstances. Mark chapter 11 is the only time he's talking about changing circumstances. The other three times it's mentioned is he's talking about you changing you. So, folks, absolutely use your faith to change your circumstances, to line up with the word of God. But don't let that be the only place you use your faith. Use your faith to change you. Use your faith to become more a person of love. Use your person to use your faith to be a person of forgiveness. Use your faith to be a person of peace. Use your faith on yourself. Because faith works the same in every area. Faith works the same in in healing as it works for finances, as it works for forgiveness, as it works for peace, as it works on walking in love. Faith works the same in every area. But what saith it? The word is nigh thee, even in thy heart and in thy mouth. That is the word of faith which we preach. In other words, faith works the same in every area. You believe in your heart what the word of God says, and you say it with your mouth. It works the same in every area. You can change you by your words. You can change your circumstances by your words. Because faith always works the same in every area. Now turn with me over to Mark chapter 11. Mark chapter 11. You know the story about how Jesus cursed the fig tree. We'll start reading in verse 12. And on the morrow when they were come from Bethany, he was hungry. And seeing a fig tree afar off having leaves, he came, if haply he might find anything thereon. And when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for the time of figs was not yet. That's a poor translation from the King James. Literally, and it's still the way today in uh, in that part of the world, fig trees that grow in in Israel and other parts of the Middle East, when the leaves come up, the, the fruit shows up at the same time. So the leaves are the sign that it's a fruitful tree or should be a fruitful tree. A lot of people get feeling sorry for the tree. And the devil will make you do look at anything other than the truth of what Jesus is trying to show us. Some people feel sorry to the tree and say, oh, I don't understand. Why would Jesus curse that poor tree? Because it wasn't producing anything. God's into producing results. At the end, Jesus is going to say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. He's not going to say, well, you meant well. He's going to reward you for what you've done. God's all about rewarding results. Most Christians don't want to hear that. Most Christians want to think that it's all about how we feel about things. Well, folks, you can feel the wrong thing about things and still do the right thing. As a matter of fact, Jesus gave an example of a man that had two sons. One of the sons said, I'm not going to do it, and then did it anyway. Did what his father wanted anyway. The other son said, oh, yeah, I'll do it, and then didn't do it. He said, which one gets the rewards? The one that promised the right thing or the one that did the right thing? God's all about results. Well, if God's about results and God's in you, shouldn't you be all about results too? Well, sure we should. So Jesus answers. Notice it says in verse 14, Jesus sees a fig tree that's unproductive. He sees an obstacle, an unproductive obstacle in his life or in his path. And so Jesus answers and says unto it. Please notice how the scripture reads here. And Jesus answered. In other words, the fig tree just talked to him. And Jesus answers it. The fig tree says, 
I look good, but I'm not producing anything. So Jesus answers the unproductive circumstance and situation in his life and said, no, no man eat fruit of thee hereafter forever. And the disciples heard it. Now, folks, this fig tree represents Israel. All throughout Scripture, you'll find that Israel is represented by the fig tree. This represents Israel. This is Jesus' last week on the earth. He's going to be crucified just another day or so. And this is Jesus cursing Israel, cursing the law, and saying, you're not going to produce anything ever again because now I'm fulfilling the law. I'm taking the place. But that's not the only thing that it means because had that been the only meaning Jesus would have answered when the disciples asked him about the question, he would have answered and said, this has to do with Moses and the prophets. But the next day they came by and the disciples saw the fig tree. Verse 20, on the morning, in the morning, the next morning, in other words, as they passed by, they saw the fig tree dried up from the roots. And Peter, calling to remember, said unto him, Master, behold, the fig tree which thou cursest is withered away. And Jesus answering said unto them, Have faith in God. In other words, even though the fig tree represents Israel, it represents that Israel is going to be cut off from uh, from God because they, they failed to keep the law. They failed to recognize him as the Messiah. Even though that's what it represents, Jesus shows us a very important truth, and that is faith works the same in every area. That's why Brother Hagin's healing testimony ministered to me because the healing that he received by faith that same faith, that same principle of faith could produce the finances that I needed in my situation when I heard. So Jesus answering said, have faith in God. In other words, he said, here's the principle behind the whole thing. Here's the principle about how you change and remove unproductive circumstances from your life. Now, what does Jesus say? The next two verses well, three verses, really, are the most comprehensive teaching that Jesus did on the subject of faith. It's the most comprehensive teaching that you can get on the subject of faith. And notice how simple it is. Jesus said, have faith in God. In other words, here's what the God kind of faith is. Here's what Bible faith is all about. For verily I say unto you that whosoever shall say unto this mountain, be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea. And shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass. He shall have whatsoever he saith. Now, I just want to take, take verse 23 for the time being. Notice that say and believe are both included in this verse. That coincides and confirms exactly what we just read over in Romans chapter 10, verse 8. But what saith it? The word is nigh thee, even in thy heart and in thy mouth. That is the word of faith which we preach. Faith's got to be in both places. Faith's got to be in your heart. But it's not good enough for it just to stay in your heart. You can have a heart full of faith and it not produce anything for you. It's got to be used. It's got to be released. It's got to be put in circulation, if, if you'll allow me to use that term. Now, you could starve to death with a pocket full of money. Couldn't you? So you can't say that a person starved to death because they didn't have any money. In that case. Well, what's the problem? The problem is not a lack of money for that individual. The problem is he's not putting that money into circulation. He's not using the money that he has. The same thing is true for faith. Faith is the currency of God. Faith is the means whereby you receive from God. It's the exchange, the means of exchange. You exchange faith for the promise that God's made unto you. 
It's a means of exchange. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. That's like saying without money, it's impossible to buy food. Well, that would be true unless somebody gave it to you, wouldn't it? That's what the Bible is talking about. It's a means of exchange. It's what God requires on your part to receive from him. So it's not just important to have faith. It's important to know how to use faith. And Jesus tells you very specifically, here's how you use your faith. Now, notice that say is in the verse relative to the believer three times where believe is in there only once. Jesus emphasized the saying part more than he did the believing part. And I would submit to you folks that most people aren't missing it in the area of what they're believing because they know to believe the word of God is true. They may not carry it out. They may not live it out, but they know to believe the word of God is true. I'm talking about Christians. Most Christians know to believe the word of God is true. Their problem is not in the area of believing. It's in the area of their speech. It's in what they're saying. Jesus emphasized the same. He said, for verily I say unto you, that one doesn't count because that's Jesus saying, here's what I'm saying. Well, what are you saying, Jesus? That whosoever shall say, there's once, unto this mountain, be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe. There's one time say, one time believe. But shall believe in his heart that those things which he saith, there's the second say, shall come to pass. He shall have whatsoever he saith. There's the third say. One believe, three says, or saith. You're going to have to concentrate more on the saying part than you do the believing part. But notice how the devil will always push you toward the believing part. The devil will always question you. Do you have enough faith? Have you ever noticed that he doesn't question, are you saying this? Have you ever noticed why he doesn't push you and say, are you saying what the word says enough? He'll never talk to you about those things. He'll talk to you about lying when you say what the word says. He'll say, how can you possibly say that? Don't you know you're lying to say you're healed when you see that there's sickness in your body? The only thing the devil will ever talk to you about on the saying part is to keep you from saying. Yet he'll focus on the believing part. He'll tell you you're not believing enough. He'll tell you you don't have enough faith. He'll tell you that something is wrong with the believing part, but he'll never, ever, ever talk to you about how important it is for you to say what the word says. Because he knows that's where the answer is. He knows that's where the answer is. Now, folks, let me, let me clue you in on a little secret here. Saying has two purposes. Jesus said to the tree, and because of the belief and the faith that he already had in his heart, the tree dried up from the roots overnight. There comes a point in time where the word of God is so ingrained in you to where you can say something one time and it carries the power of God to bring about the result. But most of the saying we do is not because the word is in our heart, it's to put the word of God in our heart. It's not an outflow of our heart. It's an inflow to our heart. Now, do you remember Joshua 1.8 without us having to turn back there? God told Joshua, here's the key to success. If it's the key to success for Joshua and God is no respecter of persons, then it's the key to success for every one of us. He said, this book of the law, the book of the law is the only thing they had of the word of God. We could translate or or substitute the word of God in there for us because we've got a lot more information than Joshua had. 
This book of the law or this word of God shall not depart out of your mouth. Well, if something doesn't depart out of your mouth, that means you're having to keep saying it, doesn't it? Isn't that the only way you can keep something from departing from your mouth is to say it again? This book of the law, the word of God, shall not depart out of your mouth. But thou shalt meditate therein. Notice he says that saying the word of God is meditating in it. Saying the word of God is meditating in it. Confessing the word of God is meditation, in other words. I thought confessing the word of God was a spiritual force that would change your circumstances. It is once the word of God gets on the inside of you. Well, how do we get the word of God on the inside of us? By saying it. You speak the word of God to equip yourselves with power to change your circumstance. Now, when we first start start off making our confession, my God shall supply all of my needs according to his riches and glory. That's the scripture I started off with. My God shall supply all of my needs according to his scriptures, according to his riches and glory. You know what I, that uh, what effect that had on me to begin with? There was no power in it whatsoever. There was no spiritual force being exercised whatsoever. I was saying it to convince myself that it was true. Because my circumstances denied every possible angle of that scripture. But I believed, I chose to believe that the word of God was more real than my circumstance, which is what faith is. And so I continued to say it. Did it change anything? Nope. Did things get any better? No, as a matter of fact, they got worse. And the reason they got worse is because the devil's trying to talk me out of believing that the word of God is more real than my circumstance. He's trying to make the circumstances seem bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. So what do you do? Well, if you're going to do what the word says, if you're going to act on the word, you're going to have to keep saying what the word says. So I kept saying, my God shall supply all of my needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Did it work? No. What do you keep saying it for then? And the devil kept asking me, what do you keep saying that scripture for? I at least understood it by that point, the purpose for it. I'm putting the word of God in my heart. And then he'd tell me, well, that won't do any good. Knowing full well, once it got in there, he was toast. So he just kept turning up the, the, turning up the heat. More trouble, more problems. Car broke down. More difficulties. What am I doing? I'm doing the only thing I know to do, and I'm saying what the Word of God says. Is it changing my circumstance? Not for the better. It's stirring up trouble on the devil's end, and he's making things worse and worse. It's having no positive effect on my circumstance, but it is beginning to have a positive effect on me. That's why Jesus talked about using your faith on yourself. That's why Luke 17 is about if you have faith as a grain of mustard seed, you will say. He's talking about the context of that is to forgive. He's saying, here's how you become a forgiver. You say that you're a forgiver. Here's how you forgive somebody. You say you forgive them. Yeah, but I don't feel like it's true. That's why you have to say it. Because the more and more and more you speak forgiveness, the more and more and more your feelings will change toward forgiving. So I kept saying, my God shall supply all of my needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. And little by little by little, I'm saying it with confidence, more confidence day after day after day. Even when this trouble starts coming, I realize I've already read Mark 4. I know the ways that the devil comes against you to try to take away the word. 
I know the more trouble is stirred up, the more I'm on the right track. So I kept saying it. I just kept saying it. I just kept saying it. I just kept saying it. And pretty soon, things little by little by little began to turn around. Now, folks, I've come to the point today where I really don't have to confess my God shall supply my needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Because I'm convinced of that. I don't have to put that into my heart. It's good to remind yourself every now and then. It's good to confess that just to remind yourself of the faith that you have in that verse of Scripture. But it's not something that I'm having to put into my heart again and again and again and again and again like I used to. But boy, when I first started off, man, I was saying it a thousand times a day. Many thousands of times a day, perhaps. I was having to say it almost constantly because my mind was being bombarded with here's another reason why you're not going to make it. My issue was finances. I was hearing Brother Hagin's story on healing, but I was applying the faith scriptures, the faith principles to finances. And man, it was like a, it was like a ritual. I mean, it was, it was so mechanical. I didn't feel anything. I didn't recognize that anything was happening, but more and more and more, I'm putting the word of God on the inside of me. Any of you remember learning to drive a stick shift? Remember how mechanical it was? It may not be mechanical to you now. It may come second nature to you now. But boy, when you first started, let's see, pull the foot off my gas pedal, push the clutch in, grind those gears into place, let the clutch out, push the gas in. And if you've ever tried to teach somebody how to drive a stick shift, it's one of the most infuriating things in the world because it's second nature to you. But now somebody else is having to learn from the beginning. That's what faith was like for me. Everything was so mechanical. I got to do this. I can't do that. I got to remember to do that. I got to stop doing this. Everything was mechanical. And I'm the, and the devil's telling me this isn't working. You're just making this a formula. And I couldn't argue with him, but I'm doing what the Bible says. So I'm speaking the word of God for the purpose of putting it in. And boy, it was mechanical. Well, it's not mechanical now. Some 35 years later, it's not mechanical to me anymore. I don't speak the word of God because I have to say it a certain number of times. I'm not thinking about how often am I speaking the word of God because now I know when I say it, I'm saying it from the inside. Jesus didn't go down the road after he cursed the fig tree saying, I believe it's dead. 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 He didn't do that, did he? He spoke one time, no man eat fruit of the hereafter forever. Why? Because the word of God was already built on the inside of him. But if I teach that from my position today, the person that's just learning to drive the stick shift of faith is going to miss out. Because they're going to think, I can never get there. And I remember thinking that about Brother Hagin. I remember after I got around Brother Hagin, I saw how easy everything was for him. He just made confessions of faith and they worked. And I'm like, I'm making confessions of faith and it's not working. And the devil's there saying, yeah, you'll never make it to where he is. Something's wrong with you. He's living right. You're not. All these kinds of thoughts were coming. And I remember having to fight through that stuff. And I'd ask Brother Hagin about it and say, why does it seem so easy to you? He said, because I've been doing it for 50 years. Well, that wasn't good enough for me. I wanted to be where he was after 50 years, and I'd been in it for one. I had the same youthful wrong ideas that young people have nowadays, and we want everything instantly. It doesn't come instantly. You can't make it come instantly. It won't work like that. Well, yeah, but Pastor Mike, I'm already old. How am I going to do this? My recommendation for you is get started as soon as you can. 
Man, I wish I had the advantage some of these young people have. Being able to hear the Word of God and being able to learn these principles of faith and put them in practice when they're teenagers. Dear Lord, what an advantage. And that's one reason why the devil's trying to pull the teenagers away. Because if they can learn by age 25 what we learned at 50, what a powerhouse they could be for the things of God. But for me, it was mechanical. Boy, it was mechanical. But I realized that the mechanics were to speak the word. I realized that the mechanics were to say. Say with my mouth. Say with my mouth. I had come to understand that believing in the heart had nothing to do with feelings. I believe it because God's word says so. I don't believe it because I feel like it's true. I don't feel like it's true. I've got a lot of evidence around me in my circumstances that make me feel like it's not true. I believe it because God's word is true. Folks, God's word is true whether anybody gets healed or not. God's word is true whether your finances line up with the word or not. Whether your bills are paid or not, God's word is true. God's word is true because it's God's word. And God can't lie. We simply have the privilege to believe the truth. And so, man, here I am. I'm confessing, my God shall supply all of my needs according to his riches and glory. My God shall supply all of my needs according to his riches and glory. I'm saying it thousands of times a day. I started off with a little three-by-five note card. It took me about a day to get that thing memorized. Threw away that note card, and now I'm saying it at every turn. Every time the devil rises up against me, every time some need shows up in front of me, I'm saying it double time. Grinding those gears of faith. Nothing smooth about it. I'm stalling out at every corner. But I keep doing it. I keep doing it. I keep doing it. Now, folks, I don't have a testimony where all of a sudden somebody sent me, you know, $50,000 and my, my bills were paid and everything worked out. I don't have a testimony like that. My testimony is things began to change. I can't tell you the point in time when things began to change. I do remember... Coming to to the realization one day, I'm saying it just as a ritual. My God shall supply all of my needs according to his riches and glory. And I realized that I hadn't said it as often one morning as I had the day before. And the first thought was fear. Oh, my gosh, I hadn't said it enough today. But then I caught myself and I thought, no, I'm all right. And I remember that moment as being something where I began to develop some confidence in what I was saying rather than trying to do it because I was trying to make it work. So I guess spiritually, if we were able to look at it from heaven's point of view, that was a turnaround for me. That was a changing point. That was a landmark in my progression for circumstances to change. But I can't point to a, any certain, any given point in time, any certain event where all of a sudden here's where things worked out for me. They just started to change little by little by little by little by little. To pretty soon, all my needs were met. I'm not under the pressure that I was under before. Now, needs would arise, emergencies would come up, just like they do with all of us. And at that time, I'd put a little bit more pressure on the Scripture. My God shall supply all of my needs according to His riches and glory by Christ Jesus. But now I'm not saying it out of fear. Now I'm not saying it because, oh my gosh, if this doesn't work, what am I going to do? Now I'm saying it because I know that I know that I know that I know. God would give me odd jobs. Here I am praying for money and God's given me jobs. 
you're supposed to laugh there. That's the way it works. I'd have opportunities to make extra money. There'd be some times where people would give, but folks, there weren't many people that were giving to me. The one person that did give was something that the Lord spoke to him to do, and that was Brother Hagin. I came back to the apartment. I was still at Raymond at the time. Lived across the street in student housing. Came to the apartment. I was about three months behind in the rent. Came to the apartment, and there was a little sticker on my door, a little, uh, little note taped onto my door with a receipt for the those three months that had been paid. Well, I couldn't figure out what was going on, so I went over to the office and I asked. And the guy that was running the thing thought I was a deadbeat. He thought I was a worthless guy just running a con on everybody. He thought there was nothing to me whatsoever. And he said, he had to, he had to tell me, Brother Hagin came by and paid your bill. I said, he did? He said, yeah, what'd you tell him? I said, I didn't tell him anything. He said, yeah. Well, he came over and he said the Lord told him to do it. Well, I left there walking on cloud nine. I mean, of all the people that God could have used to help me out, he used Brother Hagin. Wow. That was a sign to me that God did know who I was. I wasn't exactly sure until then. There's no evidence from my circumstances. So there were, there were incidents like that. There were certain things that would happen. But those were few and far between. But it began to change little by little by little by little by little. Till I got to the point where my bills were paid. Folks, God's word works. God's word works. Notice what Jesus said. Jesus said, whosoever shall say unto this mountain, be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea. And shall not doubt in his heart. That means don't change your speech. Don't change your talking. Don't change what you say. Keep saying the word of God and say only what the word of God says. And shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe. Believe in his heart means to accept that the word of God is more real than your circumstance. That's all it means, folks. We can put some other kind of technical definition on it all we want to, and we have. But that's really what it comes down to. It means believing that the word of God is more real than your circumstance. So what do we talk? Talk the word. And shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass. He shall have whatsoever he saith. Let me close with one scripture. It's back in the Old Testament. It's Numbers chapter 14. Here's a verse of scripture. After the children of Israel have come to the promised land and rebelled against God. The 12 spies have gone into the land. Ten of them came back with an evil report, the Bible says. They said, we can't do it. There are giants that live in this land. We can't take the land. They have cities, big cities. They have big walls around those cities. They have armies that are stronger than we are. We can't do it. Two of the ten spies, two of the 12 spies, Caleb and Joshua, come back after having seen the same thing. It is a good land. Land flows with milk and honey, just like God said. Everybody agreed with that. But we can do it because God said so. That was the only reason they said they could do it. We can do it because God said he would be with us. That was the only difference in the reports. One report said, here's the circumstance. The other report said, yeah, that's the circumstance, but here's what God said. That's the only difference in people that are in faith and people that are in unbelief. The people that are in faith choose to believe, choose to accept that the reality of God's word is greater than the circumstance. Caleb and Joshua said God is greater than the cities with walls around them. 
God is greater than the enemy armies. That's all. What does it take to say that? But the congregation believed the majority report. The ten spies answered and said, There we saw, this is the last verse of Numbers chapter 13, verse 33. And there we saw the giants, the sons of Anak, which come of the giants. And we were in our own sight as grasshoppers, and so we were in their sight. Folks, only part of that is true. That's the way they saw them themselves. There's no question about that. But that's not the way the enemy saw them. They're going to find out 40 years later that Rahab tells that the whole city has been afraid of them for 40 years. Your enemy is a lot more afraid of you than you are of him. But if he can get you to turn loose of and reject the truth of the word of God, he's got you. And that's the only way he can get you. So what happens? Numbers chapter 14, verse 1. And all the congregation lifted up their voice and cried, and the people wept that night. Notice their action. Notice that your emotions can betray the attitude of your heart. Their unbelief was shown by the fact that they cried about the circumstance. I heard Brother Hagin say, when I first got to school, I heard Brother Hagin say this, and he was talking about his own situation, his own, uh, what he was talking about when the preacher came and patted him on the hand and said, just be patient, my boy, in a few more days it'll all be older. He said, the things that you cry about today are the things you'll laugh at tomorrow. He said, I can look back and laugh at the guy that said that. But boy, it was dark that day. Folks, the things that you think you want to cry about today, just start laughing. You can laugh about them tomorrow. Because God's word's true. So anyway, the congregation says, well, well, it'd be better for us if we died in the wilderness. And they did. They got what they said. The ten spies died that day because they rebelled against God. Caleb and Joshua said, we can take the land. They're the only two of that generation that took the land. In other words, everybody in that story got exactly what they said. Remember what Jesus said? Here's the principle of faith. Whosoever shall say... Unto this mountain be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass. He shall have whatsoever he saith. Notice what you get. You get what you say. You get what you say. Why is that true? Because of Numbers chapter 14, notice in verse 28. Here's God telling the children of Israel a principle, an eternal principle that always works. Numbers chapter 14, verse 28. Here's what God said. God said to Moses, say unto them, as truly as I live, saith the Lord, as you have spoken in my ears, so will I do to you. Now, the part of that verse of Scripture that most people miss, in my opinion, is the part that seems to be just God saying, oh, by the way, it's me. He says, as truly as I live. When I stop and think about that, God doesn't waste words. How true is it that God lives? It's an eternal truth. He's saying, here's an eternal principle. Another translation says it's the oracle of God. Oracle means a never-changing law of God, an eternal law of God. So here's what God said to Moses. He said, Moses, tell the people, here's my eternal law and rule. As you have spoken in my ears, so will I do to you. As you have spoken in my ears, so will I do to you. What are you saying? 
what you are saying is the only tool that God says that he has to work with. Oh, but I meant well. Then say well. But my heart was in the right place. Then put your mouth in the right place. That's the whole principle that Jesus said about answer the disciples when they said increase our faith. If you have faith as a grain of mustard seed, you'll say. If you have faith, oh, Pastor Mike, I believe. Then say. Oh, Pastor Mike, I have faith. I have so many people come after healing school and they'll say, pray for me, Pastor Mike. Well, what are you believing for? Oh, I have faith. Well, faith in what? That your car will start? There's a lot of things you can put faith in. What do you have faith in? If you have faith as a grain of mustard seed, you will say. That's what got Brother Hagin off the bed of sickness. Ten months he laid there believing that healing was for him, believing that his faith would make him well, but he wasn't saying. It was faith in his heart, but it wasn't yet in his mouth. He didn't understand the principle. It's an eternal principle, folks. God said, as truly as I live, here's my eternal law, my eternal rule of heaven. As you have spoken in my ears, so will I do unto you. Folks, if you don't like what you got, change what you're saying. Now, you may may start off like I did. It may be that you say it out of a rule or a ritual or a formula. That's okay. Keep at it. It'll get down on the inside of you, and then you'll say it with confidence. Then you'll say it with a spiritual force behind it, and then it'll produce results. But the law never changes. As truly as I live, saith the Lord, as you have spoken in my ears, so will I do unto you. Can I ask you a question? Let's say we had a supernatural, even a spectacular event take place this morning. Let's say Jesus all of a sudden appears in the front of all of us. Looks out over the congregation and says, from this moment forward, whatever you say is what you'll have in life. What would you do? And then disappears. What would you do? Is that going to change anything about you? I got news for you, folks. God said that hundreds of years ago. And it's just as supernatural, it's just as spectacular, it's just as true as if Jesus appeared today and reiterated it. As you have spoken in his ears, so will he do to you. In other words, you'll have what you say from this moment forward. Sounds almost too simple, doesn't it? And I think too many people trip over the simplicity. But don't let the devil rob you for any reason. Don't let the devil rob you from what's true. You will have what you say. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for the privilege to walk by faith. What a privilege it is, Father. I know in my own life you changed me because of the word of God. Not in some spectacular manner, not because of some spectacular thing that happened, but just because of the supernatural reality of your word of God, the supernatural power of your word acted upon. Thank you, Father, that so many of us have the same testimony. We've seen you do so many wonderful things. But, Lord, it seems to me that we're just getting started. So many of us have come to the place where we've seen you work in our personal lives. And we thank you for that. But, Lord, there's a greater purpose to you meeting our needs and bringing us divine health. And that is so that we can use our faith to help others. 
Thank you, Lord, that there's nothing that's too hard for you. Thank you that you're able and willing to change every person's circumstance and situation in life. You're willing to bring the reality of the finished work of Jesus into their lives where it can be seen and known. But, oh, Father, help us to get past ourselves so that we can help others see just how good you are. Father, if it was up to us, we'd have you flash lightning around and show displays of power so that everybody would see and know that you're the great God, the great I Am. But so many times, Father, you choose to work day by day. You choose to show that the power is in your word just by simply believing it in our hearts and saying with our mouths. We love you, Father. We thank you so much for your goodness. Use us, Lord. We've been so blessed to learn and and hear and learn these truths. We've been so blessed to see you work in our lives. Let that not go to waste. Use us, Lord, to help other people. Use us to show people the stability, the steadfastness, and the reality of your word. We love you, Father. We thank you that we're healed by the stripes of Jesus. We thank you we're redeemed from the curse of the law. We thank you that the chastisement of our well-being, our prosperity was upon Jesus. Thank you, Father, that there's no situation that's greater than your word. And faith brings your word into a reality in our lives. In Jesus' precious name, amen. 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 Let's all stand together. Hallelujah. Folks, I doubt, it's interesting to me that this is a home home folks crowd today first one we've had in a long time I don't think it's coincidental I don't think I've said anything that that you don't already know I don't wouldn't expect anybody to walk out of here and say wow I've never heard him say that before we always say this but so much the more reason for us to be doers of the word So much the more reason for us to check up on the things that we're saying. Folks, focus on your words. The importance of your confession is everything. And let's get past ourselves. Let's get our own needs met so that we can get past ourselves to help others. Amen? That's where the real joy in life is. It's great to see God meet your needs. It's great to see God change things around for you. But the real joy comes comes when you can help somebody else.